And so the only way we can make sure we're not deceived is to go to the scripture. Praise God. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Amen. So while you're standing, let's go to our text, which is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start. Some of you are expecting me to go to verse 38. That's not where I'm going tonight. Not yet. We'll get there before the study is over. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 21. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Acts 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I just realized they haven't distributed the Bible studies yet. Hurry, men muy pronto, por favor. Don't be impressed. That's about as much Spanish as I know. I can say muy bien and gracias, burrito, enchilada, taco, fajita. Beyond that, I have to get Sister Anna to help me. Praise God. Amen. But who needs anything more than that, right? Oh, maybe queso. We got to know queso as well. Praise God. Yeah, I, I threw that in there somewhere. All right. Praise God. So we want to make sure everyone's got a copy. This is your personal copy. We will start on the page that is marked page one. It is deep inside the book there. And um, everyone will have a copy. Now, before we, before we do that, we're going to pray a prayer. And we are going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray a very specific prayer tonight. And this is a prayer that I ask people to pray. I teach seminars to pastors, to ministers, um, I've had as many as 800 pastors and pastor's wives in attendance, some of the seminars that I have taught. And I ask them to pray this same prayer. And the prayer is that God would grant revelation. That God would open understanding. Because let me say this to you. This needs to become a habit with you. That every time... You open your Bible, all right? Every time you open your Bible, you need to get a mental picture of this. When you open your Bible, open your heart and open your mind. If you open your Bible with a closed heart and a closed mind, your Bible will do you no good. So I want you to pray tonight, God, help me to open my heart, open my mind, and speak to me tonight. And speak to others tonight who may need revelation and understanding. Would you pray that prayer with me right now, church? Let's everyone pray together. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you. We're asking God that you would indeed grant revelation, grant understanding. Open my heart, open my mind, open my spirit tonight. Let me be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Let me follow after you. And let me help someone, God. Open blinded eyes. Remove the blinds from the minds. Tonight, God, as we go through the word of God, I ask you to do it, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's praise him one more time before we're seated. Everybody, let's praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Master. 
Oh, you are so good, God. You are so good, God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I am going to be going through this quickly. And again, if you've got questions, please write them down. Write them down. Find a place there on the page. Uh, write down your questions or there are some blank pages around and you can write your questions there. But we will do our best to get to any questions that we can. And we will not have time to do it tonight. I know that. But we will do our best to answer questions. I'm not afraid of questions. And furthermore, there is no such thing as a stupid question. I've found that any question one person has, there's usually a number of others who have the same question and everybody's afraid to ask it. So don't be afraid to write down a question. I'm not going to be offended by any sincere question. Amen. If you ask me, why do you look as bad as you look or why are you as ignorant as you are? I might get offended at things like that. I try not to because I'm a realist, but... But uh, if you've got a sincere question, then I'm happy to, to, uh, to take those sincere questions. So let's get started. Page one, interpreting scripture. This is very important to this study and to every study on which you embark. Second Peter chapter one, verse number 20. Now I have a reader here tonight and he's gonna read these verses for us. But as I said, they're printed in your study. Second Peter one, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of the scripture is of any, notice this, private interpretation. So the apostle Peter is writing this and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And here he plainly informs us that no scripture is of any private interpretation. That's the two words for those blanks right there. And, and what does that mean? What that means is, I've had people tell me, well, you interpret scripture this way and I interpret it that way and we've just all got our own interpretation. This verse tells us that that cannot be the case. We may all have our interpretation, but we're not all right. We've got to find God's interpretation for every scripture that we look at. Amen. And the only reliable commentary on scripture is another scripture. Now I've got commentaries, I've got study tools in my library that I use, but I want to tell you every time that I look at one of them, I open that book with the understanding a man wrote this and he was not divinely inspired by God to do so. This is his opinion. He may be right, he may be wrong. But when I open the Bible, this is not a matter of opinion. This is truth. And so the only reliable commentary we have is scripture. If you've got a scripture that you don't understand, search the Bible and find another scripture that will explain it for you. I promise you it's there. In every case, when there's a verse you don't understand, there is another verse that will explain that one to you if you'll take the time to study it. In far too many instances, someone has interpreted a scripture in a certain way and it's become the accepted interpretation rather than studying the scripture for ourselves. I've found this to be the case. You let some well-known televangelist come out with an interpretation of a scripture and suddenly everybody believes that's what it means. And nobody will take the time to just look to the Bible and sometimes just reading the context. 
just reading the verses before it and the verses after it will tell you that's not the right interpretation of this verse. Hallelujah. I could give you a lot of examples tonight uh, just, just to show you what I mean. I mean, there is a verse of scripture that says, go thou and do likewise. All right? Now, if I take that verse and apply it to, let's say, Judas committing suicide, and then I say to you, now, the Bible says, go thou and do likewise, then we've got a problem. But what I've done is take a verse out of its context and applied it in a way it was never intended to be applied. That's why you've got to study the scripture, all right? You've got to study the scripture. Don't just accept somebody else's interpretation. Don't even accept my interpretation. And I mean that with all my heart. Don't even accept my interpretation without going to the Bible and looking at it for yourself. All right, let's move on. The next scripture is Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Listen to what Jesus says. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things like ye do ye. Now, Jesus was talking to a religious group of people in Mark 7, 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Here's what he said. He said, you people have got your religion. This is the way you've done it for centuries and you think it's right because it's the way it's always been done. But he said, what's happened is your tradition has become more important to you than what the scripture says. And can I tell you, in some of these seminars where I've taught pastors, I've honestly had pastors tell me those very words. This is the way we've always done it I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to keep doing what we've always done. Well, I, for one, do care what the Bible says. And if my tradition is wrong, I'm throwing my tradition away. Well, praise God. If my tradition is wrong, I'm going to ignore my tradition, and I'm going to the Bible, and I'm going to stand with what the Bible says. Hallelujah. So, it is possible to exalt tradition over scripture all right that's what goes in the next blank it is possible to exalt tradition over scripture we're not going to be judged by our tradition god's not going to ask us on judgment day okay what was your tradition he's not even going to ask us okay what did your church teach okay what was your pastor's doctrine he's not going to ask those questions i'm going to prove that to you I'm going to prove that to you. That's not my opinion. I'm going to prove it to you from the word of God. We're not going to be judged by tradition. We are not going to be judged by commentaries. We're not going to be judged by private interpretations. We will be judged by the word of God. Those are the three words to go in that uh, next set of blanks there. Word of God. Is everybody with me? If I get to going too fast, one of you men let me know, and, uh, and, and I'll slow down. Or if somebody misses uh, a, a blank, just, just wave at me. We'll do our best to try to keep our eye on that as well. Word of God. All right, moving on. I'm going to prove that to you now. Let's go to the next verse of Scripture, John chapter 12, verse 48. John 12, verse 48. Jesus is speaking. He said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. 
Do you see what I'm telling you? Jesus said, we're going to be judged by the word of God. Now, I know tradition says we're going to get to heaven and he's just going to look in the Lamb's book of life and if our name is there, that's all that matters. That's what tradition says. But we're going to see what the scripture actually says. We've already seen that Jesus said we're going to be judged by the word of God. Right? Is that what he said? The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So let's see what happens in the last day. We're actually going to see this happening in the book of Revelation where it describes the day of judgment as it takes place. Turn to page two. Amen. Page two. At the top of page two is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. Read. And I saw a great white throne... And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, saw the dead. Small, and great, small and great, stand before God. Stand before God. And the books were opened. Now, now I want you to look at this. Look carefully at this. And the what? The books. That word is plural. That word is plural. The books were opened. Read. And another book and was another opened. another book was opened. Which is the which book of is life. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which and, were written. All right, now, now hang on. So first he opens books plural. Then he opens a singular book called the book of life. So he is going to look at the book of life. He's going to open that book. But I want you to notice, get the picture in your mind, he's opened books plural and he's opened a book singular. Then when he gets ready to judge, the dead were judged out of those, out things, of those things which were which written, were written in, the in the books. The, wait a minute. In the books. Not in the book singular. But in the books, plural, according to their according works. According to their works. So notice that not only was the book of life open, but the books, plural, were open. And men's works were judged according to the books, not the book of life. Now, Jesus already told us what it was that was going to judge us, right? Right? He already said, you're going to be judged by the word that I've spoken. So then what must those books be that judge us? They must be his word. And in this book that we call his word, you know what appears in this? 66 books, plural. Do you know what happens on the day of judgment? He not only opens that book of life, but he opens these 66 books and he compares what we did to what's written here. Now, this is not my opinion. I'm giving you what the scripture said. This is why I said sometimes we got to open our minds and we got to forget about our traditions. 
He opens those books and judges the dead out of those books. And this is, this is everybody. The dead, small and great, standing before God. And he judges all of them. So since Jesus said his word is what's going to judge us, we must conclude that it's the books that are mentioned here, the 66 books of the Bible. That's why it's important that we get the proper interpretation of Scripture because that's how God's going to judge us. Not on how we thought this is what it meant, but on what it actually says. And let me just give you a little clue. With the Bible, in interpreting the Bible, the best thing you can do is take it at face value. That sounds really simple, but that's the way it's supposed to be. It's really not a difficult book to understand. I know King James, we're using King James, and I know that the language of that sometimes is difficult uh, for folks to understand. I, I know that. There are other translations out there. I don't have time to get into all of that uh, tonight. You do want to be careful because some of those are just men's opinions. They're, they're not really good translations. They are, they are really commentaries that include men's opinions on what the scripture means. You've got to be careful in, in the... And that's why King James has just been around for so many years and it's proven itself. And it's kind of why, as an old fogey, I'm an old man, so I get to be an old fogey now and I can take great pride in that, praise God. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just still lean toward this old-fashioned book. It's just been proven over and over and over and over. I know that sometimes the language can be a little difficult to understand, but listen to me, the message of it is not difficult. And if you'll just take it at face value and quit trying to find hidden things and hidden numbers and hidden this and hidden that and just take it at face value, you're going to be surprised at how simple it really becomes. Hallelujah. All right, let's move on to the proper idea. Uh, obviously, we must depend solely upon the word of God as our source of absolute truth. That's the two words for the blanks here under B, absolute truth. Obviously, we must depend solely upon the word of God as our source of absolute truth. Here's why I say that. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word thy is truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word, Jesus said, thy word is truth. From cover to cover, everything in this Bible is absolutely 100% correct. I should get more amens than that. It's 100% correct. There is no error in this book. There is no falsehood in this book. It's all true. I don't care how unbelievable it seems. I don't care how far-fetched it seems. It's true. Thy word is truth. Not my word. Not some other preacher's word. Not grandma's word. You'd be surprised how many people want to base their salvation on grandma. But it's not grandma's word. And I loved my grandma. But it's not grandma's word. God's word is truth. In fact, listen to what Paul says. 
And he's going to verify something I said earlier. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Romans 3, verse 4. God forbid, God yea, forbid. let God let be true. God be true. But every man but a liar. Every man a liar. Now, I want you to catch what he just said. This is why I said a while ago, if 100% of the world believes something, but God's word says something different, the Bible says here, let God be true and let every man. I don't care how much you respect them. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care how successful you think they are. If they contradict what the Bible says, Paul said, just consider them a liar. And trust the word of God. Now, you understand that puts me at great risk when I'm up here telling the congregation that when I err from this book, leave me. That kind of makes me remain accountable to the scripture, doesn't it? That's my whole plan and purpose. I don't ever want to get loose from this book. This is where safety is. In a world that is upside down right now, I'm glad I've got something that's right side up. I'm glad I've got something I can depend on and trust in. I got to hurry. I got to pick up the pace. All right. So if we want to understand a passage of scripture, we've got to use other scriptures as our guide. So with that in mind, let's move to the top of page three, understanding the text. Uh, I'm sorry, except, uh, in fact, Paul admonished us, if necessary, consider everyone except God a liar. A liar. Thank you. All right. Sometimes I get a little excited. That's why I want you to just let me know. If I miss a blank, let me know. Uh, let God, uh, everyone except God, to be considered a liar uh, if you have to. Amen. Praise God. Thank God there are still people who want truth and speak truth. Thank God we don't have to consider every man a liar. But that's what Paul says we must be willing to do. If necessary, all right? Top of page three, number C, understanding the text. Considering what we've just established, let's look again at our text, especially this one verse, uh, which is the only one I chose to read tonight for time's sake, Acts 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that sounds simple enough. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord and you're saved. Now that's what it sounds like. But if we really want to understand this verse, we're going to have to forget our traditions. We're going to have to ignore the commentators. <coughs> and we're going to have to look to the scriptures. The scripture says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. So the question then is, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Because everybody who does that is saved, right? I mean, that's what the Bible says. I told you, take the Bible at face value. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved. So if we want to be saved, we've got to figure out what it means to call on the name of the Lord. All right? Let's start by determining what it is not. Roman numeral two, A, what it is not. 
Much of the church world today instructs people to simply pray the sinner's prayer. Perhaps some of you have heard that or been led in what is called the sinner's prayer. And, and they tell you as soon as you've prayed the sinner's prayer, you're saved. Um, and, and they say this is what it means to call on the name of the Lord. There are others who say that all you have to do is just simply believe in your mind that Jesus came as your Savior, that he died for your sins and rose again. And if you'll believe that in your heart, then you're saved. Others say, well, you have to believe it in your heart and you have to confess it with your mouth, and then you're saved. Others say, well, you have to be baptized. And and there's all these different things. But we're not here tonight to figure out where the majority of people stand. We're here to figure out what God says. And if God is going to say that everybody that calls on his name is saved, then I can promise you God's going to tell us what it means to call on his name. He's not going to leave us wondering about that. Well, praise God. Amen. So let's talk about what it's not. Matthew 7 verse 21 not everyone that saith unto Jesus me. Jesus is speaking here, and he said, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, now look at this. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, scriptures don't contradict themselves. So if in one verse it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord is saved, and Jesus turns around and says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is saved. Then we know that simply saying, Lord, Lord, or calling him Lord is not salvation. Just because you call him Lord does not mean you're going to be saved. That doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be lost if you'll follow through with everything else the scripture says. But you do know that that's not all that is meant by this phrase, calling on the name of the Lord. Because he said not everybody that does that is going to be saved. But he goes on to say, But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Oh, so now he tells us something else here about being saved. Not everybody that calls me Lord is going to be saved. But I tell you who will be saved. Those who do the will of my Father. That's who's going to be saved. Okay? So we're learning a little bit here. We're taking this step by step. And we're learning a little bit. So calling on the name of the Lord must involve doing the will of the Father. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself again. According to Jesus Christ himself, not everyone who simply cries out to him or prays a simple prayer will actually be saved. That's the last blank on this page, saved. Here Jesus tells us that while not everyone who cries out to him will be saved, everyone who does the will of the Father will be saved. So, top of page four, it is incumbent upon us. Is everybody with me now? Top of page four. It is incumbent upon us then to find out what the will of the Father uh, with regard to salvation is. We got to find out what it is. All right? What is the will of the Father with regard to salvation? Well, we're going to let the Bible answer these questions for us. Does everybody see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm letting the Bible present questions and letting the Bible give an answer. So, 
the Apostle Peter gives us some insight about God's will concerning salvation in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Oh, now look at this last part here. He's not willing that any should perish. But, now because of that conjunction, we understand he's saying he is willing that all should come to repentance. So obviously the will of the Father is for everyone to repent. Hallelujah. So two very important factors which we discover in this verse. First, God's will is that no one be lost. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. If, if, if a voice tells you that God doesn't love you and God doesn't want you saved, that's not God's voice. God wants you to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. But the second thing is, God's will is that everyone repents. And that's why not everyone will be saved because not everyone will repent. So calling on the name of the Lord must include repentance. And that's the blank, by the way, first blank on this page is repents. Repents. God's will is that everyone repents. Calling on the name of the Lord includes repentance. Peter did not say it was God's will that all should pray the sinner's prayer. Right? He did not say it's God's will that all should confess or that all should believe. He said it's God's will that all should come to repentance. Now, repentance involves a number of things, and I've got to go through this very, very quickly. So let's talk about what, in, what repentance really involves, what that means all right, from the scripture, what does it mean? 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. All right, so there's two kinds of sorrow. Two kinds of sorrow. There is godly sorrow and there's the sorrow of the world. But what we find here, parenthetical number one, it involves a godly sorrow. That's the two blanks right here. Godly sorrow for the sins you have committed. It involves a godly sorrow for the sins you've committed. That's different from the sorrow of the world. You know what the sorrow of the world is? I got caught. Or I don't like the consequences. I'm sorry I did it because of what it's making me go through right now. But a godly sorrow is, God, I realize I sinned against you and I'm sorry that I transgressed your law. I'm sorry that I transgressed your world, your, your word. I'm sorry that I broke your heart by committing this sin. That's godly sorrow. Hallelujah. Proverbs 28, 13 at the bottom of page four, read. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. All right, so now we see something else about repentance. Because covering your sin does not bring spiritual prosperity. But what will bring spiritual prosperity is confession and forsaking. So number two at the top of page five, it involves confessing and forsaking sin. Now, let me clarify. You don't confess to a man. You didn't sin against me. You don't have to come find a preacher and say, preacher, I did this and I did this and I did this. Because you didn't sin against the preacher. You sinned against God. That's between you and him. He knows what you did anyhow. You might as well admit it. You didn't do it in secret from God. 
There may not be another person on earth that knows, but he knows. So just tell him. Confess it to God. But there's something else here. That real repentance is not just saying, okay, God, I sinned. But real repentance says, God, with your help, I'm not going back to that sin. I'm going to quit doing those things. Now, we can't do this on our own, all right? I just want to be honest with you. We're human. We have this old nasty thing on us called flesh, and it tends towards sin. We can't change that by ourselves, but with God's help, we can. And that's a part of repentance. We're not only saying, God, I'm sorry, but we're saying, God, help me to quit doing those things. If you're a drug addict, you need God to deliver you from the drug. Don't keep doing drugs and saying, well, God, you're merciful and you'll just keep forgiving. You know, if I walked up and slapped you and said, I'm sorry, you might forgive me the first time. But after I've slapped you five or six times, you're going to say, you're not sorry. And yet we keep going back to God with the same old sin, same old sin, same old sin. Well, God, I'm sorry. Well, at some point, God's going to say, no, you're really not. You're really enjoying it too much. You need to become sorry for that and let me get you out of it. All right? So confessing and forsaking. To forsake sin, you must literally turn away from it. If we're going to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, there's got to be a change in our lifestyle. That's what repentance is. In fact, the word repent was actually co-opted by the military many years ago. And drill sergeants, when they would be going through their routines, uh, they'd have them marching in a direction, and the sergeant would, would shout, Repent! And, and the troops knew that they were to spin and make a 180 and come back the other direction. That's what repent means. You're headed in a different direction now. Amen. And so that's what real repentance is. And repentance is the will of the Father. And that must be done to call on the name of the Lord. All right. Luke 6.46. I got I to gotta hurry through this. Luke 6.46. And why call ye why me, call you me Lord, 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 and do not, do the, not things the things which, which I, I say. say? Don't call me Lord if you're not going to live like I want you to live. Now, these are the words of Jesus. I'm giving you Bible tonight. All right. 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. The Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone, let everyone that nameth that the, name of Christ, the name of Christ depart, depart from, iniquity. from iniquity. If you name the name of Christ, there needs to be a change in your life. Somebody says, oh, that's legalism. No, 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 that's love. I explained this the other night. There are things that I don't wear, things that I, you know, ways I don't comb my hair, whatever, because my wife doesn't like them. And that's not because I'm living in bondage to her and she orders every step of my life. It's because I love her and I care about her opinions. And if I love God and I care about his opinions, then I want to do what pleases him, not what pleases me. All right, so God's will is for men to repent. In fact, if we do not repent, the Bible says we will Perish, and that's the next blank here, perish, P-E-R-I-S-H, perish. Luke 13, verse 3, read. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Does everybody believe the words of Jesus? Does everybody believe the words of Jesus? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said this. The same Jesus that gave us John 3, 16 gave us this verse right here. And he said, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all 
likewise perish. Repentance has to be a part of this. The first thing we learn about calling on the name of the Lord is that it involves repentance. All right, that's the last blank on page five, repentance. Now, repentance, although necessary, is not the only element involved in calling on the name of the Lord. As we're about to discover, repentance is only the beginning. The apostle Paul gave us further insight into what calling on the name of the Lord involves. Pay attention to what he said as he gave his personal testimony before an angry crowd. All right, are you ready to go with me to page six? Page six, this is the apostle Paul. He is giving his own testimony and I'm watching the time. Uh, we may have to break this lesson into two parts. I don't want to, but we may have to. All right, but uh, here we are. So page six, the top of page six, Acts 22 verses 13 through 16 came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Paul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I, same looked, hour, up I upon looked him upon him and said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, and thou shouldst know his will. All right, this is, what, this is what Ananias is saying to Paul at his moment of conversion here. Read. And see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. Yes. For thou shalt be witness unto all men of that which ha thou hast seen and heard. All right, now listen to verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Why tarriest thou? Arise. Arise. And be baptized. And be baptized. And wash away and thy wash sins. wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. Now we're trying to find out what calling on the name of the Lord means. We've already found out that part of calling on the name of the Lord is repentance. But now we see the apostle Paul saying that when he was told to be baptized, he was told to do it calling on the name of the Lord. I submit to you tonight, amen, that the process of having his sins washed away through baptism was part of calling on the name of the Lord. And that's the first blank at the top of page six, Baptism, B-A-P-T-I-S-M, baptism, amen. Baptism is a part of calling on the name of the Lord. So calling on the name of the Lord is not just saying, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. It's repenting of your sins. It's being baptized in his name. Let's prove it with some more scripture here real quickly. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth, he that is believeth baptized. and, everyone say and. Everyone say and. That's an important word. Small word, but important word. He that believeth and, and is, baptized is baptized shall be shall saved. Be saved. And, but he that but he believeth, that believeth not, not shall, be, shall damned. be damned. Again, this is Jesus speaking. If you believe the words of Jesus, then you have to accept Mark 16, 16. And he said, he that believeth and. That conjunction does not leave room for a choice. It's not either or. Hallelujah. Amen. It's he that believes and is baptized. If I said tonight that I was going to give $100 to every person who had on a tie and coat. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I said if. You guys, you guys pay attention to only what you want to pay attention to, don't you? I said if. If I said that. If I said that. Uh, if I did, I'd have to borrow from somebody else. But, but if I said that, then some of you would not get it, though you've got on a tie. Though some may have on only a coat. 
But it's not either or. If I say a tie and coat, because of the word and, it has to be both. Now listen again to what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You say, well, I believe, but I've never been baptized, but I'm saved. No, according to Jesus, you're not. That's what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, Jesus can determine who's saved. Who's I can't be the judge. People say, well, what about so-and-so? What? I'm not the judge. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He is the judge. And the judge said, you have to believe and be baptized. So and he's already told us that uh, you have to repent. So you have to repent. You have to be baptized in his name. Now, Jesus further said that we believe on him through the words of his apostles. Those next two blanks, his apostles, his apostles. All right, John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone. Neither pray I for these alone. But for them also which shall believe on me through their through word. Through their word. Now, he's praying for his apostles. This is on the night of his uh, betrayal. He's going to leave the upper room, go out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and there Judas is going to lead the Roman soldiers to him. He'll be taken away to be tried and eventually crucified. On that night, he's praying a prayer for his disciples. But then the prayer changes, and he says, I'm not just praying for these that are here. Not just these 11 that are still with me, but I'm also praying for everybody that's going to believe on me through their word. Now, I want to tell you why I love this verse of scripture. And if you've got your Bible open, you want to mark this verse because this is where Jesus prayed for you. Did you know that? 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus prayed for you. Your name is in the Bible. Well, not your specific name. But your identity is here because he's praying for everybody that's going to believe on him through the word of his apostles. Now, let me tell you, Jesus himself did not write physically one word. He spoke it through the spirit. But every word of the New Testament that was written down was written by his apostles. Do you know how we believe on him today is through their word through what they said. So we can't question the things they taught. I've had people say, well, I don't care what Peter said. You better. Because Jesus said that's how we believe on him. And if you can't trust Peter, you can't trust Matthew. And if you can't trust Matthew, you can't trust John. It's an all or none proposition here. Once you throw out any part of the scripture, you have to just throw it all out. The only way we can believe on Jesus is through what the apostles said. So we've got to do things the way the apostles did. One of the things that Jesus commanded of his apostles was that they baptize in Jesus' name. All right? Now, it's not written here if you want to, and, and we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to bring this to a close so we can have time for a baptism, and I still have, uh, still have a few pages to try to get through. I hate I hate to quit at this point. Um, but write down Acts 2.38 right here. And we're not going to take time to read it. But, but write down Acts 2.38. Go home and look it up. And it's there. It's in the Bible. He commanded uh, his disciples. Uh, in fact, go to Luke 24. Uh, and and uh, you can, at the end of that passage of Scripture in Luke 24, you see Jesus actually giving the command that they do it in his 
name. It's stated that way in the book of Luke, chapter number 24. And so you can write that down as well. Praise God. And, uh, and then go home and look that up. We're trying, we're trying to hurry through this study tonight. Uh, I don't have time to go to every scripture, but you can write down uh, verses 45 through 49, Luke 24, 45 through 49. You'll see where Jesus actually commanded them to baptize in his name, Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. All right, very quickly, give me just a few more moments here to discover what else is involved in calling on the name of the Lord. We're gonna go to the Old Testament. I want you to follow along, Zechariah 13, verse nine. I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name. Now now listen, what are we trying to figure out? We're trying to figure out what it means to call on his name. Is everybody with me? That's the purpose of this study. What does it mean to call on his name? Well, we've seen calling on his name means repentance. We've seen calling on his name means baptism in Jesus' name. And now he talks about those that call on his name. And what does he say? And I will hear them. I will hear them. And I will say, say, it is my people. people. And they shall say, say, the Lord Lord is is my my God. God. Now, he's talking about those that call on his name. And what did he say about them? This is Zechariah 13, verse 9. Amen. Do we have that scripture to get it up on the wall? Zechariah 13, verse 9. Read for me. Again, I'm sorry. Start it again. And I will bring the I will third part bring through the fire. The third part through the fire. Through the fire. Fire. Through the fire. Now, I'm not going to go into everything this verse talks about, but I do want you to just see that there is a connection between those that call on his name and the fire. Fire is a refining agent, and God intends for his people to be refined by fire. Just as a jeweler might use a blowtorch to refine gold or silver, God uses the fire of the Holy Ghost to purify his followers. Let me prove that. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I indeed baptize you with water John unto... John the Baptist re- said this. I'm going to baptize you with water unto, unto repentance. repentance. But he that cometh after but me is mightier than I, Read. whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Right? He shall baptize, you with, baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with and fire. With Fire. When the Holy Ghost comes, it brings fire. Now, what's going to happen with that fire? Read. Whose fan is his in his hand? Yes. And he will and thoroughly, purge, thoroughly his floor purge his floor. And gather his wheat gather into the, his garner, wheat the garner. But he will burn and up the chaff, up with, the chaff unquenchable with unquenchable fire. fire. This is what the Bible says: that the Holy Ghost comes to bring a fire to help purify your life. This is why I said a while ago: you can't make those changes on your own. You don't have the strength. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the ability to change yourself. But the fire of the Holy Ghost starts burning away the things that are displeasing to God. Thus, part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord must involve receiving the Holy Ghost. And that's the two blanks in the middle of page seven here. The Holy Ghost. That's the fire that he refines us with. So calling on the name of the Lord involves repentance. Calling on the name of the Lord involves baptism in Jesus' name. Calling on the name of the Lord involves receiving the Holy Ghost. 
Hallelujah. Jesus said receiving the Holy Ghost was going to be a part of true believing. John 7, verses 38 to 39. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. If you believe said, the way the Scripture tells you to believe. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. All right, now listen to me, because a lot of people say, well, I believed, I believed. But Jesus said if you believe the way the Scriptures say, something's going to happen as a result. There's going to be rivers of living water flowing out of you. And now he's going to explain what those rivers are. Read. But this spake he of the this Spirit. This spake he of the Spirit. Which they that, which believed, they that believed on him, on him should, receive. should receive. For the Holy, For the Ghost, Holy was Ghost was not yet was given. Not yet given because, because, because Jesus was not yet glorified. glorified. And so here's what we understand. That river that's supposed to flow out of a believer is the experience called the Holy Ghost. If you've not received the Holy Ghost, you're not a scriptural believer. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And you have not called on the name of the Lord fully. There's one final thing that needs to be pointed out as a part of calling on the name of the Lord according to scriptural definition. And again, we're going to go to the Old Testament very quickly. Zephaniah 3 verse 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure religion. Oh, I like this. Language. I like this. Then will I turn to the people a pure language. Language that they may all call that upon the may, name of the Lord. That they may do what? Call upon That the they name. may do what? Call. Call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we're trying to find out, isn't it? We're trying to find scriptures that talk about calling on the name of the Lord. Now look at this. I'm going to give the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord. To serve him with one consent. Listen to me, my friend. Listen to me. There's no language on earth which has no profanity. That's never been used to tell a lie. That has no words to describe the evil deeds of men. Our corrupt tongues cannot be used to call on the name of the Lord in a pure fashion. So you know what God does? He gives us a pure language. Now watch this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak began with other tongues. And began to speak with other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave, gave them, them utterance. utterance. Listen to me. This is what happens. When the baptism of the Spirit comes, a new language, which is foreign to the new believer, begins to come into the person's mouth. He doesn't know what the words mean, and so he doesn't know what he's saying. Therefore, he can't corrupt the language. When I speak in tongues, I can't curse. When I speak in tongues, I can't tell a lie, because I don't know what those words mean. God's speaking through me. It's a pure language when God's doing it. And I'm telling you, this is part of calling on the name of the Lord. When you call on the name of the Lord the way the Bible tells you to, you're going to speak in another tongue, a language you've never learned, a language nobody's ever taught you. It's not going to be because I've said repeat after me, but the Spirit's going to start speaking through you words you've never understood before. That's what happens when God fills somebody with the Holy Ghost. That's part of, of calling on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So when the baptism of the Spirit comes, a new language, which is foreign to the new believer, comes. He does not know what the words mean. He has no idea what he's saying. So language is that first blank. Therefore, he cannot corrupt the language. While speaking in tongues. That's the next three blanks. Speaking in tongues. While speaking in tongues. A person does not know how to curse, lie, or describe wickedness. The utterances are given by the Holy Ghost. When God is speaking through a person, you can rest assured that language is pure. Zephaniah 3.9, read it again. 
For then will I turn, then the will people, I turn to the people a, a pure, language, pure language that they all that they may, may all call upon, call the, name upon the, Lord, the name of the Lord to serve him, to with, serve one him with one consent. That pure language is given for the purpose that the people may call upon the name of the Lord. Now let's go back to our text and read it again in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21 at the top of page 9. And it shall come, it to, shall pass come to pass that whosoever, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord shall, be, shall saved. be saved. You have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And if you never speak in a pure language, you've never scripturally called on the name of the Lord. And therefore, you're not scripturally saved. Now, very quickly, Part C here, uh, the harmony of the scriptures, page nine. Let's review what we've learned. We'll then compare these findings to other verses of scripture dealing with salvation and see if everything lines up. We've seen that calling on the name of the Lord involves, first blank, repentance. Repentance, R-E-P-E-N-T-A-N-C-E, repentance. Then baptism in Jesus' name, B-A-P-T-I-S-M, baptism, N-I-N. Jesus, J-E-S, J-E-S-U-S, apostrophe, Jesus, name, N-A-M-E, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost is the next two blanks, which is evidenced by speaking in tongues. Now that is calling on the name of the Lord. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Now let's see if we can prove this with other verses of scripture very quickly. When Jesus told Nicodemus what he had to do, I want you to notice what he said was involved. John chapter three, verse five. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom oh, of God. Oh, look at this. Is this beautiful or what? I told you, calling on the name of the Lord, you're going to have to be baptized in water and you're going to have to receive the Holy Ghost. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus said, what does it mean to be born again? Jesus said, I'll tell you what it means. You got to be born of water and you got to be born of the Spirit. That's the same thing as what I just told you. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name and you've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's born of water and born of the Spirit. So Nicodemus was obviously living a repentant life already, and yet he still needed baptism. That's the next blank, baptism and the Holy Ghost. That's the three blanks here, the Holy Ghost. Baptism and the Holy Ghost. Those are the last blanks at uh, page nine. Let's move on. Now Jesus is not finished with this conversation. Verse number eight, John three, verse eight. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, yes. but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth. Right. So is everyone so that is, is everyone. born of the Spirit. That's born of the Spirit. Now, now notice this. Jesus plainly stated, everyone. I want you to say everyone. everyone. In fact, I want everyone to say everyone. everyone. Now, if you didn't say everyone, then you don't know what everyone means. All right? Everyone means everyone. That's not difficult. And he said, everyone that's born of the Spirit is going to have some quality or something that came out of this verse, whatever it is. Now, he plainly stated, everyone that's born of the Spirit, there's something about it. Now, he says, the wind blows where it listeth or where it wants to. You hear the sound that you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So he tells us there's a lot of things we don't know about the wind, but there's one thing that's certain. When it blows, you hear its sound. And then he says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's no exceptions there. 
So Jesus plainly stated, everyone that's born of the Spirit will produce a certain sound. While he didn't explicitly say speak in tongues, there's only one sound that consistently accompanies receiving the Holy Ghost. And in fact, that word sound in the original language actually is language. That's the, the wind you hear, it's language. And so is everyone that's born of the Spirit. You'll hear their language. Let me show you consistently through the Scripture. We're at the top of page 10 now, and we're about to close it out. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the they Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them and utterance. And when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 10, verses 45 and 46. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy right, Ghost. Now how did they know the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost? Read. For they heard now, them wait, that speak verse, with That tongues. word for in verse 46 means because. They knew they'd receive the Holy Ghost because... They heard them speak with because tongues. Because they heard them speak with tongues. And magnified God. And magnify God. All right, Acts 19, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came, upon, came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And so when they received the Holy Ghost in Acts 19, they spoke in tongues. I'm telling you, in every example, we find they receive the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues. There's always that sound. It's consistent in every case. I am here to tell you tonight that when you call on the name of the Lord, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in other tongues. Now, let's tie it all up because we started in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 21 where Peter says you have to call on the name of the Lord but we don't want to stop with verse 21 because Peter didn't stop with verse 21 we're going to go on down to where the crowd responds to what Peter says let's start with verse 37 now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles Men and brethren, what shall we do? All right, before we go any farther, I want everybody to, to, to think about this. Peter said in verse 21, you have to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And now they've heard him say this, and now they're asking him, okay, how do we do that? Men and brethren, what do we do? You said call on the name of the Lord. Tell us how. You agree with that? That's what's being asked. Tell us how to call on the name of the Lord. So let's see what he says. Verse 38. Then Peter, then said, Peter unto them, said unto them, repent. He didn't say believe. He didn't say confess. He didn't say repeat this prayer. He said repent. And be baptized. And be baptized. Every one of you. Every one in of you. Of in the name Christ, of Jesus Christ. For the remission, for the remission of, sins. of sins. And, and ye shall, shall receive the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Of the Holy Ghost. For, for the, the promise is unto you. you and, and to your, your children, children. And to all, and to all that, are that are far off. Even as many as the, as the Lord, Lord our God, God shall call. call. When they ask, how do we call on the name of the Lord? He said, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost. Same thing I've been telling you. That's how you call on the name of the Lord. And everyone who does that will be saved. He told the crowd to do the very three things we learned were a part of calling on the name of the Lord. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the Holy Ghost. If you want to be saved, you must call on the name of the Lord. And in order to call on the name of the Lord, you must repent these are the blanks at the bottom of page 10 repent be baptized in jesus name receive the holy ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues repent be 
baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God right now. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's love him right now. Let's love him right now. I love you, Jesus. 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 Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Now, now listen, we're getting ready. We're getting ready to have a baptismal service. Here's what I want to ask. Because there may be others that are here tonight who want to be baptized. And so I want to say to everybody under the sound of my voice. In fact, there may be people listening online who see your need and you want to be baptized. Well, I want you to notice that first of all, the Bible said you must repent. And so before we ever go to the waters of baptism, I want to ask you to take just a moment and to pray a prayer of repentance. And you may have done that in the past, but it's always good to just be sure. God, if there's anything in my heart that displeases you, please take it out. Please change me. Please show me how to live in a way that makes you happy. I want to spend my life living for you. I want you to pray that prayer for just a few moments. And then we're going to go to the waters of baptism. And if you're listening online and you're within driving distance, come on. We'll baptize you in Jesus' name as well. Praise God. Amen. You can can go down in water. But the third thing is this. If you've repented, and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, then you should expect when you get baptized that the Holy Ghost will come. And when you come up out of the water, I'll take a moment and wipe the water out of your face, but I want you to lift your hands. That's just a sign of surrender. You know, if somebody walked up behind you and put a gun at your back, you put your hands up, right? That means I surrender. Well, God's not putting a gun to our back. We're just willingly saying, Lord, I surrender. So you come up out of the water, you just lift your hands and say, Lord, I surrender. And the Holy Ghost will come. And I'll tell you, there'll begin to be words in your mouth that you don't even understand. You just let them flow out. Don't worry about what they sound like. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. That's God's language he's giving to you. And he's speaking through you that pure language to let you know you've been born into the kingdom of God. He can fill you with the Holy Ghost tonight. And hear me, hear me, just being baptized is not enough. In order to call on the name of the Lord, you've got to repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost to to fully call upon the name of the Lord. So you don't want to stop short tonight. You want God to give you everything he can give you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray a prayer, everyone together right now. Everybody, let's pray. Lord, if there's anything in my heart, God, forgive me. God, if there's anything that I'm doing that displeases you, I want to know it, God. I want you to show me in your word. Let a preacher preach to me. Let somebody explain to me because I want to be pleasing in your sight. I want to be used for your kingdom, God. I love you and I want to spend my life serving you.
God, this is a night of dedication unto you and to your cause and to your kingdom. It's a night, God, of absolute surrender to your will.